guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to take a minute and thank our incredibly generous sponsors, Custom Concrete Specialists, PML Construction, the Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Liquid Trucking, Risk Skill Consulting. Thank you one and all. We really appreciate your support. Now today's episode. Good morning, everybody. It is uh, Friday, December 8th. Um, not a bad morning here in Omaha yet. We're, we're still pretty fortunate with the weather. Pretty warm. Pretty warm. My guest this morning, you recognize him probably if you're a local to the Omaha area uh, and you're watching on YouTube, I suppose. If you're just listening, you probably don't recognize him yet. Todd Longnecker, you are the Corporate Safety Director for Commonwealth Holdings. Correct. Is that true? Yeah, so we became a holdings company um, because we purchased a, a company out in Salt Lake City uh, right Ultra Electric, and so instead of having them take upon our name of Commonwealth Electric, uh, our leadership team decided that we would create a holdings company, okay. which would OB, oversee or, I guess, support both Commonwealth Electric and now Right Ultra Electric. Nice, so, okay. So that way they growing. could maintain their name. You didn't have Correct. to impose your name on them. They probably have a, a client base that's familiar with their name and stuff. Absolutely. You don't necessarily want to tamper with that. Yeah, and so that was the whole idea behind it was, you know, they've, they've already been out in Salt Lake City for years and years and years. People recognize the name, and now uh, we really just try and help them have more access to resources okay. and things like that. And so. and so they fall under your umbrella as the corporate safety director. Correct. Cool, man. Yeah. Nice yeah. holdings. That sounds impressive. Yeah, I was going to say Commonwealth Electric, yeah. and then I reread your <laughs> your time. I was like, oh, shit, I can't, you know. Yeah, it, it is definitely much uh, much more Commonwealth Electric, but, yeah, yeah the Right Alch folks are fantastic. It, it's, uh, it's crazy. I've been out there a few times, and, um, you know, you kind of worry about, like, oh, okay, are we going to get along, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what's your kind of philosophy on stuff, but. They are so close to the Midwest and how we operate as a company. Um, it's been honestly seamless and mm-hmm. can't say enough about I think the people out I, there. Uh, I'm familiar with Salt Lake City. It's more of a Midwestern yeah. flavor than it is a West Coast flavor. Or, Correct. you know, it's an interesting, dyna- you it, know, I would agree with that. It's a little more conservative, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely not like Denver or anything like that. Um, right. Which I think is probably a good thing. Um, just because our companies, well, just just for know, the they mesh together the, well. Yeah, the cohesion between yeah. the two groups that's yep. probably much better. Well, so before we get started, I've got to tell a story or two, um, and then we'll get into a little bit about your history, background, and we'll talk some electrical safety. I think everybody's interested in electrical safety. So, um, but it, but you made an interesting comment this morning. I said, "Hey, what would you like to talk about?" And you're like, "Anything but safety," you know. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man, I am so anxious to." You know, obviously, this is what we've dedicated our professional lives to, but there's so much more to talk about. Right. So, this is a little bit off base, but so um, I read fiction and I listen to nonfiction. And I just made this realization just shortly because when I'm driving, and I drive a lot, as mm-hmm. you probably do as well, man, yeah. I'm driving all the time. And so, when I'm driving, I listen to more professionally related things, nonfiction type things, safety, electrical safety, whatever it might be, yep. if I'm trying to learn something. But if I'm just sitting for pleasure and reading, I read fiction. And I've always tried to read nonfiction, and I just can't do it. But I can listen to nonfiction for hours when I'm driving. This right. is just a, a personal realization I have just come to. But So I read um, 
one of the books that are a series of books I've read is called Reacher. Are you familiar with this? Reacher. Yeah, Reacher. Yep. It's, you know, um, what is it? Lee Child is the author. Yep. About 30 books about this dude, uh, Jack Reacher, who is yep. the character. He was a military police officer yep. in the Army, right? Yep. Okay, so. There's movies about it. Yeah. There are movies about yeah, it, yeah. and there are there's actually series now on Amazon. Oh, really? So Amazon had series one last year. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then December 15th, Season two starts. So okay. my brother and I, who are big fans, are both like texting each other. Oh, did you see the trailer? Oh, it's coming. You know, well, so interestingly, in the movies, the original movies, they cast Tom Cruise. Yeah. Tom Cruise was the character Jack Reacher okay. in the in the Amazon series. They've actually cast a guy. His name is Alan something, Alan Reichman or whatever it is, something like that. Yeah. But he actually resembles Reacher, as described in the books. In the books, he's described as a big dude, you know, 6'5", right. 250, kind of grisly and rough, yeah. which is not Tom Cruise. No. That's not who you think of when no. you think of Tom Cruise, no. you know. But in the, in the movie number one, he said something that made me think of you. He was, he was in town. He's always stumbling into town, and there's a, always a, you know, a, a death or a fatality or something. Not a fatality, a murder probably, right. you know. And so he's talking to the local policeman and the local you know, the local policeman is doing the investigation. And he said, well, what did you do in the Army? He goes, I, I basically did what you do. Made investigations, arrest people, things like that. He goes, but with one difference. And the guy's like, well, what was that? And he's like, everybody I investigated was a trained killer. You know, because everybody he's, investi he's investigating within the Army, they're all trained to kill, you know. Yep. And for some reason, that made me think of you and your work. I mean, the vast majority of safety people maybe have one or two high hazard activities in their workplaces, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of material handling. There are a lot of maybe custodial activities. There's some warehousing, probably lower risk work activities. But as the safety director for an electrical contractor, everybody that you are responsible is handling life-threatening sub substance, whatever, you know, whatever we call electricity, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, Holy shit, man, you don't get a chance to take a breath. Well, and, and, and one thing that I would say, and, and this is more of an industry thing, I think, but our guys are highly trained, right? They know what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Do they always do it? That's the mm -hmm. question, right? Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, in the electrical field, it's fun because you can really have some good conversations with people. You get good ideas from the guys in the field, good feedback. Um, but, yeah, once you get them bought in, uh, especially with the electricians that we have, once they're bought in, they're just as good as a safety professional, honestly. Yeah, they're out I mean, because they, they know mm -hmm. what to do, right? It's just a matter of getting them bought in to commit to that each day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And so how would you describe then what you do? I mean, you're involved in the training, obviously. Oh, yeah. But are you an electrician, or do you have an electrical background of some? No. So funny enough... Um, even Ruben, who was uh, the safety director before mm -hmm. me, not, not an electrician, electrician right? Nope. nope. Um, I wasn't an electrician at all. Um, I, I mean, I knew that electricity could be harmful, right? But uh, when I first got hired at Commonwealth, I really did have to learn quite a bit. But a lot of that I, I would give credit to our guys in the field. Um, you know, we've got some really, really good foremen that know a lot. And um, I've been able to learn a lot from them. I was able to learn a lot from Ruben, too. Um, as it pertains to electrical safety, and then um, it's just it's gone. It's it continues to progress in this positive fashion. 
right, where people are realizing that, hey, <laughs> electricity can kill anybody, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 120 volts is the number one killer of, of anybody, right? I was just telling somebody about this morning. Yeah, whether it be uh, workplace safety or at the home, um, some of that's because it's widely available, but also it's because, you know, do you respect it, right? That's what I was talking about with our guys is respecting electricity and that it can hurt you. But, but that's one of those things that um, are, once you get them bought in and, and they understand that, like, hey, it's not worth it to work it live. Like, why? Why work mm -hmm. it live? You're getting paid anyway to mm -hmm. do the work. You might as well shut it down, get it safe, do what you can that way. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, from my standpoint, a lot of what I do now is, um, you know, oversee the programs, uh, try and create new initiatives based upon what's mm. happening, right? Mm. Yeah. Try and project forward uh, as best we can, right? Obviously, nobody has a crystal ball, and, you know, it's it's funny because I, I, our, our people always find new creative ways to get hurt uh, or, or do something, but, um, but it, it's what makes the job fun and, and challenging at the same time, right? I love that. Um, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, man. No, you're good, you, yeah. But I, I love your description of you know, the initiatives, you know, developing initiatives to reinforce the existing training or to reinforce, you're not reinventing the wheel. Con I mean, you are looking for different and perhaps better, if nothing else, just new ways to reinforce what your guys know. And to motivate. I mean, that's the biggest mm -hmm. thing. I mean, when you actually take a step back, right, and think about safety and where, pe where we're at in the, the growth of safety in the workplace, 20, 30 years ago, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was newer, right? People didn't know about it. You can't claim that you don't know what to do now, honestly. I mean, come <laughs> I totally on. Agree. Unless you're brand new to the field, right, and your employer hasn't trained you properly, you can't claim that you don't know what to mm -hmm. do, right? So our foremen, journeymen that have been around for years and years, they know what to do. The key is to not let complacency set in at that point or to let their bad habits become, or I shouldn't say bad habits, to let shortcuts become their, their path. Their for, norm. Yeah, their normal mm -hmm. uh, deviance, right, mm -hmm. from what they should be doing. Mm -hmm. And so um, the big thing for me is trying to motivate our people, keep that buy-in, keep them focused on it, even when things are going good, because as soon as things go good, that's when we kind of let our guard down, mm -hmm. and then next thing you know. Something might happen, sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're having happening. at least near misses, perhaps, or right. and doing things we shouldn't. Exactly, and so it's trying to do that. And and you know, one thing that I've that I would say that I've noticed, and I, I see it mainly with our electricians, um, is we get on these big projects that have a ton of safety oversight, right? And we still have incidents. It's like, well, you know, and they're like, okay, well, maybe we should, maybe you need more safety. And I'm like, well, okay. We've already got plenty of safety coverage out here. And what the unintended consequence of having too much safety supervision is that now our field employees aren't thinking for themselves. Uh -huh. They're not identifying hazards for themselves because they assume that, oh, if I'm doing something wrong, somebody will, somebody yeah, will say something, Yeah, there's 20 guys right? looking at me. Yeah, somebody will say something. And so it, it, it disengages them from the buy-in because they assume that somebody else will do it for them, right, to recognize the hazard and tell me that I'm doing something wrong. Um, and, I'm, I, and that creates complacency as well, right? And so... They, come, they become a little bit uh, robotic almost. Correct, yeah, where it's... They're, 
I want our people to think mm -hmm. before they're doing stuff. Um, one of the things around electrical safety, um, we've taken the stance, and it doesn't really make sense for us either. There's some places where it would make sense, but we don't do daily wear, right, for like arc flash clothing or anything like that. And the reason being is, is that I don't want our guys to just walk up to something and start messing around with it and thinking, oh, yeah, I've got my FR clothing on, and they're not really thinking about, okay, what do I need to do? And they just are assuming that they're going to be protected in some way because they've got arc flash daily wear on. Interesting. And, and, and then thinking about, you know, for us, we're in the construction world, and, and you get into the manufacturing and, and industrial settings, but are you exposing that arc flash clothing to oils, greases, mm -hmm. metal shavings, right, from other work that you're doing that's right. not directly related to electricity, right? And so, um, but I want our people to think before they get into mm -hmm. something. I want them to be like, yes, I need to go get my arc flash suit. Oh, and I need to make sure that it matches the cal rating on this piece of equipment. Right. Oh, is there even an arc flash study done, right? And, and so that they're having to make conscientious decisions. Now, can they make a conscientious decision to not go get that stuff? Absolutely. But I hope they don't, right? But what I don't want them to do is to get to that complacency or that comfortableness where they're not thinking about it mm -hmm. before they go in because, oh, well, I've got my FR stuff on, so I'll just go in there. Right? That, that is a really whatever. interesting comment, man. Uh, that, that is really interesting. And I, I so appreciate your saying that to begin with because I, I, I firmly believe that we can over-safety things to the point where we have taken away that um, problem-solving ability from our employees. Yep. Um, we, we certainly want them to be well-trained and really familiar with those hazards and the diagnosis and all of that, the evaluation. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to take the decision-making completely out of the process. Right. Uh, that is really astute. And then I, I had not given that any thought. I had not thought about the – but the daily wear. I mean, because we – almost every construction site you go on now, there's just a mandatory – you know, head protection, eye protection, foot protection, hand protection. Yep. The minute you step through the gate, and it does, while it probably makes policing the programs easier, mm -hmm. it eliminates some of that, you know, because I have people now that will say to me, well, you need a hard hat. And I'm looking and saying, well, I don't see any overhead hazards. Right. Well, but you got to have a hard hat. OSHA says, you, you know, we have eliminated to some degree that. Yeah. Necessity to think. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. Wow, man. Good for you. Well, how, how old are you? How old am I? I am, what, 30, 34? Oh, man. Yeah, you I'll be are 35 wise beyond your yeah. years, man. Good well, for you. <laughs> thanks. Uh, Good for you. But, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you, you have to get inside the head of the employee, right, um, if you really want to make change and if you want them to be bought in and, and have that success, right? Because, yeah, if I just – I call it blanket safety, Oh, well, we'll just force you to do all this stuff. And then, okay, we assume that it's that they're being safe because we put all these safeguards in to, to force them down this path like cattle. And it's like, okay, well, now you've just created a worker that's not thinking for themselves. Like, what are we doing? Like, and I, and I understand why companies do it mm -hmm, because at the end of the day, right, whether if that employee gets hurt, the company is paying for it, right? They're paying for their care. Right? They have to deal with the consequences of it. But at the end of the day, you still have to understand that they're human and they're going to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And I always and I tell our people, I'm like, you know, here's the deal. You need to wear your arc flash gear. Now, it, ultimately, I'm not going to be here to tell you every single time that you're going to go 
interact with electrical equipment that you need mm-hmm. to put this on, you have to own that. You have to decide if your life is worth, mm-hmm. you know, it protecting, right, when you're going to make those decisions. Because every single time that you don't, you're risking your life, essentially, for what? Mm-hmm. To do the work a little bit quicker? Mm-hmm. You don't have to walk to your van and get your stuff? Like, I mean, come on, let's take the time to do it. Because there's all kinds of horror stories about people that, you know, it's end of the day, end of the week, whatever it may be, and they would normally go get their PPE. They would normally do something, but then they justify not doing it because, well, nothing's happened before. Mm-hmm. Complacency, right? Yeah. And so, so there's all kinds of stuff like that. But, yeah, it's getting a little bit into the head of the worker, but that's one thing that I appreciate about, appreciate about working with our electricians and being in the electrical field is that they, they – there, it's we've gotten much better as an industry for them to understand that even 120, you know, and that that was one of the misconceptions that you know I, mm-hmm. we we, we had kind of talked about a little bit. But uh, one of them is is that you know people base their safety program or who can work on what equipment based upon voltage. Well, if if and, and typically they have it at, they have the the breaking point at 600 volts, right? So above 600 well, volts, that's where OSHA breaks it, unfortunately, right, which is which is archaic to mm-hmm. think about because there, there's a piece of 480 gear. Uh, I actually, the, the highest arc flash level I've ever seen is on a piece of 480 gear, and it was over 200 calories. Holy shit. Which, for anybody who doesn't understand the arc flash ratings, uh, it's, a gen, it's, it's understood across the industry that anything above 40 cal is deemed that there's no safe PPE that exists, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't. We can't protect from the percussive wave that would come out in that arc blast. Okay. So we're talking over 200 cal, right? <laughs> and, and that's at 480. Now, you could have a program that's written that, oh, okay, well, above 600 volts, you have to be this level of personnel and have this level of training. But under 600, 600 volts, it's, you know, you don't have to quite have as many qualifications, right? right? And you're fine, mm-hmm. you know? It's like, well, <laughs> that if, is- that's, if that's the stance you're taking, I mean— and you don't know, I wow. mean, yeah, you could be really exposing your people to a catastrophic event. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, an, that's a bomb going off. Mm-hmm. That's multiple bombs going off yeah. at 200 cal. So, anyway. Yeah, I, I've heard, but I've, I've seen those programs written just like you've described. Mm-hmm. You know, we have certain people that we have qualified above a certain voltage and below a certain voltage. Yep. With, uh, with apparently with a misunderstanding of what that necessarily means because that does not necessarily equate to the risk category. Right, that it's safer, right? Mm-hmm. That, oh, because the voltage is lower, that it's safer to work on. There's, there's 120-volt uh, pieces of equipment that could have arc flash ratings that are well high enough for you to be seriously injured or dead mm-hmm. if, if the wrong thing happens, right? So voltage is plays very little role into what the potential hazard is wow. when working on an electrical mm-hmm. system. And that's one of the things that, you know, because when I first came into the field and I was talking to our guys, you know, they would, they would I've had this said to me multiple times, and, and we've changed this misunderstanding, but they would say, oh, I'm, hey, I'm working on a piece of 480 gear. I'm going to have to shut it down, do a little testing, whatever, right? I need the Cat 2 suit. And I'm like, well, hold on. Do we know what the arc flash rating is? Well, it's 480. It's Cat 2. And I'm like, well, no. You don't. How do we know that? How do you know that? You can't just assume that. That's just the voltage. That's mm-hmm. all you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's where getting past that volt, because that's that was even a thing in, within the electricians in the field, right, that they 
felt that same way. They had that same misconception, but we've really made some strides uh, with getting the word out on that. And I think NFPA 70E and ARC flash studies being much more widespread now has helped with a lot mm-hmm. of that because now you can see on that piece of equipment that, oh, hey, this is 480 volts, but it's got a arc flash label that says that it's, you know, 30 cal or, mm-hmm. you know, 50 cal or whatever, right? And that's where, you know, you get into a spot where you're working on that and you don't have the proper PPE on. Yeah, it's your toast. See you yeah. later. Like, nice knowing you. Oh, that's really interesting. So there, that's a nugget, man. We were talking earlier about nuggets of yep. information. That is a useful nugget of information. Yeah. And yep. as you said, one of the common misconceptions that voltage equates to risk. Yeah, no. And yeah. that's yeah. Not, not really the case. Well, and even if you think about shock, you take away, you, you step back from even the arc flash, right? When you talk about shock, anybody that really understands it, it's the amperage, the path it takes through your body, and the amount of time you're in the circuit. The duration, certainly. Yeah. yeah. And so voltage, while it does play somewhat of a factor, mm-hmm. it's not the biggest factor, right? Um, and so that's where, you know, the, the amperage is what actually kills you, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, and it's so low. I mean, that's why 120 volts will kill you because it doesn't have to be a lot of amps. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your household stuff is, you know, you got 20 amp breakers, 15 amp breakers, right? Right. And it only takes milliamps to do something, mm-hmm. something to your heart mm-hmm. potentially, right? So, so you're, if you expose yourself to, you know, five amps, whatever, it seems low, but that's more than enough to stop your heart. You can get your muscles contracting, things like that. So, um, and then you have the involuntary, you know, use of your limbs and things like that, and you can't get out of it. And then that's what happens, mm-hmm. you know. But um, so, yeah. do you, so when so when uh, you're in ventricular fibrillation and they're charging up the the what defib paddles yeah, yeah, and yeah. they say set it to two hundred. Are yeah. they like two hundred milliamps? Is that what they're saying when they're like? You know, charge so, it to 200 and then bam, charge it to 300, bam. I mean, are they increasing I th- the I think amperage? U- well, so I think they're using joules. Joules, joules okay, energy, just an right? energy. Yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a way to equate it. But, okay. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what they're doing at the, the hospitals necessarily. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I don't think that um, when you're talking shock like that, it's more uh, higher voltage and less amperage. Mm-hmm. So, like a taser, for instance, mm-hmm. is high voltage, very, very low amperage. Okay. And the amperage is so low, and so voltage can also make your muscles be involuntary, right? That's what happens when you get tased, right? Right. You lose control over your, your mm-hmm. muscles, but the, the amperage is so low that, that it's, it's not... Typically deadly. not lethal, yeah. unless you have some kind of an underlying Correct. condition. And, that, and, that's, and that's the best example right there is the taser. They're, they're typically, I don't know how many thousands of volts, but they're thousands of volts... And extremely low amperage, and that's how you can safely mm-hmm. use them, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a police officer or whatever. Okay. So, but. so I got a lot of questions, man. So you said a lot of stuff right there. One of the <laughs> things I want to ask you is, um, when you first started, uh, not a, not an electrician, so you came into this job. Had, if you and talk a little bit about had you done safety work before that? But what I'm interested in most is. How do you gain credibility with these journeyman electricians when you first come into this world? How do you gain their trust and establish some credibility? And then how do you if you recalibrate these guys as you're 
working with them to, to, to buy in. You know, I mean, this is a common problem. Yeah. So how do you, so, how did that happen? Well, so, so one, um, coming into safety, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to get into safety until I did. Mm -hmm. It was kind of an odd deal. I was finishing up college. I was actually working to become a firefighter, mm. right? So uh, my goal was to be a firefighter, maybe have my own little side business, um, whatever, right? And I got sick of working multiple jobs and all that stuff. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to put out my resume. It somewhat is on, along the lines of safety with firefighting, mm -hmm. risk management, stuff Absolutely. like that. Yeah. And so I put it out. Uh, and, and it was back when it was the American Society of Safety Engineers, mm -hmm. not safety professionals. Yeah. And so I put out my resume, and, and oddly enough, the only person to reach out to me was Ruben. Hmm. So, um, and, and he, I remember talking to him. I was in my truck, and he called me, and he's like, hey, he's like, name's Ruben Barra. Looking at your resume here, he's like, doesn't look like you have a lot of experience, but he's like, I kind of like that because, you know, he wanted to try and mold me, right? Sure. And, and he definitely did. But so I came in with little to no experience about safety at all. Mm -hmm. Industrial right? safety, construction safety, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but how I got to get the respect of our guys and I think is mainly it's it's not about part of it's what you know, but a lot of it's the relationship. Um, talking to them, coming to their level, get, getting to know them. Right. Um, I remember. There was a kid, um, he showed up at our, our company Christmas party, and it was, I think it was maybe my second year at Commonwealth at this point. But I saw him, and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, not much. How are you? And, and, then, uh, and then he goes, do you even know who I am? And I said, yeah, you're Nathan Hensley. And he's like, you remember my name? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't I? And he's like, I didn't think you would. And, and I, I knew at that point that that meant a lot to him. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing I learned early on is get to know our people. They will, it means more to them than we realize to, to know who they are on a personal level, right? Because once you know them on a personal level, it makes it so much easier to address things, right? And then you can allow the knowledge that you have as a safety professional to naturally come out, right? And so I don't have to go up to an employee and say, hey, you're doing this wrong, that wrong, whatever. We need to get it corrected. It's, hey, how's it going? If I don't know you, my name's Todd. Nice to meet you. How long you been with us, right? Get to know them a little bit. You got kids, whatever, mm -hmm. right? Talk about some of their stuff that they care about, right? And, and then get to know what they're doing and figure out why they're doing it the way they're doing. And then you can jump into um, addressing whatever issue mm -hmm. it may be, right? And I, so I think approach is a big thing, but it's, it's treating them like people, um, not just, hey, I know this is wrong because it says it in the OSHA book or NFPA 70 or whatever. Right. It's all about approach and relationships. And I think that that's what's helped me to get to where I'm at now um, as the director. And, and that's, I mean, when I'm hiring a safety professional, I'm looking for somebody that has those personality traits that can talk to people, get to know people, make them feel comfortable quickly, right? And bring the stress level down a little bit, mm -hmm. right? There's this, it's not everywhere, but there's a lot of people that want to avoid safety, right? They want, 
They want to avoid safety professionals. They don't want them looking at their stuff. And it's like, you know, what we've tried to do is I always tell our guys, you're not in trouble. We, if we're doing something wrong, you're not in trouble. But we can't fix what we don't know. Mm-hmm. So be honest with me, right? Foreman, I'll, I'll call you and give you a heads up that I'm coming out. The expectation is, is that you're not calling your guys in the field and being like, hey, everybody scramble and get your PPE on and all that stuff, right? right, right. And I tell them, and if you do that, you're doing a disservice. Yeah. Well, because yeah. Stop now we don't know what that yeah, means. We don't, we, now we're not, you're not being honest with me and you're not even going to be in trouble. I mean, yeah, if, if nobody's wearing their PPE, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is going on, right? Mm-hmm. But, but we need to know what our true exposures are. We need to know what level of, you know, what level our people are bought in, right? Because that's going to tell us where we need to focus and things like that. And I think taking that step back to not just come out and be the, you know, quote unquote safety cop mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. but it's about the approach, having a relationship with the guys. Um, you know, I've got a couple of guys in the field that, I mean, we'll, we'll text messages and we'll talk about anything about stuff that's not work related. Sure. Right. And, and, uh, and I think that that's important to, mm-hmm. to understand that personal aspect um, mm-hmm. And I think that that does uh, help with gaining some respect, but also showing up for your guys when it matters, right? Hey, GC's crawling up our, you know, this, that, whatever, issue here, issue there, whatever, and we can come and help them, right? And we can be that resource for them and, and be there when it matters, right? Or, hey, something bad happened and we show up. Another thing that I would say that I found over the years is when our guys are working off hours, right? Because, you know, I'm typically, you know, 7, 7.30 to, you know, 4 or 5, right, in mm-hmm. the afternoon, right? But we have guys that will work on the weekends, work at night, things like that. And we've had a couple of instances where things, our, our people have been working a shutdown or something similar and something's gone on. And it's, one of them was a, a Friday night at midnight, I got a call. I rolled out of bed and I ended up down at the job site until like 4.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. right? But I was with the guys and and a lot of them were like, First, they were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, we've got some stuff going on, Yeah. right? Obviously, some, some, some bad things, right? So we need to get this figured out. And then it turned into they thought about it, and they were like, wow, he's actually here. Like, yeah, I got out of bed. I'm down here. We never guys, see right? safety people. Yeah, this. exactly. And so I think that that's important as well is to understand that if you're not, if you're not getting a little bit uncomfortable with them, they, they're not going to have that respect. Mm-hmm. you got to get a little bit uncomfortable with them. you got to show that, hey – I'll take time out of my personal life to respond for you guys when mm-hmm. it matters, right? Um, so th- there's there's a couple of things there, I think, with, you know, showing up for your guys. Also, follow through. Mm-hmm. If you say something, you need to follow up and do it, right? If I tell you I'm going to go get you some fall protection, I better do it, right? And that's what I would expect out of any safety professional. If you want to get the respect out of your guys, don't just talk about stuff. Do it. Be about it. Make sure it gets done. Follow up whatever you've got to do, because if you don't, that every time that's an opportunity where you could gain somebody that buys in even more, or you could hurt it, right? You could hurt that relationship. You could hurt their, their thought process or their viewpoint on safety, right? By, well, safety guy shows up and says this and that, whatever, but then Never there's happens. no follow-up. Right. Yeah. I've seen situations, and thank you for saying that, because I, I interact with a lot of new safety people uh, from time to time, different companies and whatever situations and I think they overlook the importance of that establishing that relationship piece you know and I've had a number of people on this program talking about leadership and it's always that 
you know, when you know the people that understand leadership go immediately to that relational part of the uh, engagement. Mm-hmm. And, and even like you said, knowing someone's name, and I'm not very good with names, so that's has always been a challenge for me. And I see hundreds of people, and so it becomes a little bit. And that's just on me. I'm making an excuse, but right. I think that that is really critical. But I thought what you said there. Um, first of all, have their back when they need it, but follow through. Even even small things. I mean, if as you said, you can you can gain that employee's trust and loyalty. I mean, they come to you and say, "Hey, you know, the these gloves don't fit very well, or whatever." And you're yeah. like, and you're you, maybe you make a mental note, but now you're on to bigger, more what you oftentimes a safety person thinks as more important things, right. and that falls through the cracks, and you lost a really valuable opportunity there. Yeah. And don't don't minimize it because it's important to that person, obviously. Correct. Yeah, they said something. They right? said something to you, which is what you desperately want. Yeah, you want them to reach out to you, right? And now we have personalized the um, prioritization of their issue and Correct. said, ah, oh, that's you know not that big a deal. And so you move on, and now you've lost them. Yep. Or certainly more difficult to regain them. And worst case scenario, right? If you can't take care of that issue for for them yourself at least delegate it to somebody else to get done, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're swamped with other things and maybe more important things, at least say, hey, project manager, warehouse manager, whatever, hey, this guy needs you know, yeah. a set of large gloves instead of mediums or whatever, right? Yeah, whatever it is. And, and make sure that it's going to get done. You don't have to execute on it, but make sure that it gets done because that is one of the things that I think um, can really irk or field people and give them a bad taste is that, well, when I when I bring up something, nothing gets done with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's one of the big, one of the big things I think as well. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but do you are you maybe not comfortable, but are you do you feel positive about the direction the culture has moved within the organization? Do you have are you comfortable that your lead people, your senior level people, are Kind of doing the policing themselves. They're they're looking out for. So one thing I would say is so one I'm a very competitive person, right? Mm-hmm. And I I have come to find that I have a a, a fairly I have a perfectionistic type mm. you know personality where I want things to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm doing something, I want to do it to the best of my ability. I want to perform at a high level, right? So I always see within our company. And owning the safety part of the company, that there's always room for improvement, right? Sure. Because if if you think that you've gotten there, then yeah, not you're, really you're a, mistaken. It's not right? a journey with a destination necessarily. Correct. Yeah, there's really no end. And and so, but but having that mentality, I'll always say that there's more that we can do. Now, our culture, our culture's fantastic. We have we have buy-in from all levels, visibility from all levels, from the top down. Um, you know. Are there some bad apples in there here and there, people that aren't mm-hmm. quite as bought in as others? Sure. Absolutely. But that's going to be the same with any company. But I would say that um, 99% of our company or companies, whatever you want to call it, um, everybody's bought in. Um, you know, We have a great culture from that standpoint. It just comes down to now the execution of it, right? There's no lack of buy-in, but it's the execution that mm-hmm. we're really trying to work on and get a little bit better at. Um, across the board, right? Mm-hmm. We have we have pockets that do a fantastic job, but getting everybody to to operate at that high level, you know, at least, you know, getting ninety five percent 
of the things done that we need to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, paperwork, whatever it may be, right? Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's where it's kind of at. But that's the hardest part is is you can get guys to understand, you know, and buy into the idea of safety, mm-hmm. right? And taking care sure. of each other and, and looking out for each other and looking out for themselves. But the hard part is is doing the daily paperwork, you know, doing the inspections. Just the grind. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. and, and them... And them finding value in it, right? Because, you know, you've got your pre-task plan, JHA, whatever, right? And it's a very valuable tool when used properly. But it can also be uh, a tool that can get in the way of buy-in a little bit when it becomes perceived, when it's perceived as burdensome to the field foreman or whatever, right? So I always tell our field foreman, like, hey, we... I get it, right? Nobody wants to do more paperwork, right? We don't I don't want to do any more paperwork. Right. But if you use this properly, this can be an invaluable tool for you and for your crew. One to go through the exercise of planning the work and thinking ahead, but also if push comes to shove and something happens, now we've got some type of documentation to go back yeah. on to show why you the foreman, right, who is going to be seen as you know, the competent person, Sure. you know, you talk about some of that stuff, you can really go down a path, right? And so understanding that that can, that can help you, right? Help, help protect you as well, right? Mm-hmm. In the event that something bad happens. And so they understand that. And so, but it's just one of those things that the paperwork will do great at it for a while and then it'll start to mm-hmm. back off. And I you got to do the, the reminders, kick, you know, kick people in the butt again and get them going again. But that's uh but yeah, the culture as a whole, fantastic. Have you execution? Is have you found any any of those things that are particularly burdensome and eliminated them that you can think of right offhand? Um, and not, just the paperwork thing. Okay, let's not bother with that. So, I, I listen to Todd Conklin occasionally. Mm-hmm. He's a safety guy, you know, yep. and probably a high level guy. And he was talking about an example coming out of COVID, a company that had during the COVID. Uh, they had a process that required five signatures or something like that, you know, and they, you know, during COVID, it was impossible to gather those five signatures. So they eliminated it to, to two signatures mm-hmm. and then realized that that didn't change the quality of the work or the right. safety of the work at all. And so they've just adopted that. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that's kind of a simplistic example, perhaps. But but there are a lot of things that we do paperwork wise that are burdensome. And and sometimes a meeting of the minds might lead you to believe that maybe that isn't as necessary as we once thought. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, to that point, I mean, we've, um, you know, we're constantly evaluating efficiencies. How can we make things easier for our people in the field, right? So that they can execute on those things. And it's not as burdensome, right? Now, some things you can't really change what it is, right? You got to do your lift inspection. Some the lift inspection is going to be yeah. what it is, right? And you got to have it on the lift, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, even that that same standpoint of signatures, right? Um, we had an old injury report form that it, it was like six different signatures that was it needed, and it's like, why? We mm-hmm. don't need. Mm-hmm. We don't actually need every single signature, right? Uh, we need the employee who was injured, right? They need to sign on to this and attest that yeah, this is true and accurate, right? right? But then, okay, yeah, the supervisor. And then me as a safety director, yeah, absolutely. We should be putting our eyes on it. And we can sign off on it. But, you know, the, the foreman, the project manager, the branch manager, you know, the, 
the operations manager. We don't need all of those signatures because now all it does is just make it take that much longer for me to actually get that. Or we don't even get the signatures, and then it's like, well, why is it even mm -hmm. there, right? And so, so now we've set ourselves up for deficiencies right, in our process exactly. that exactly. may not even be necessary. Oh, that exactly. was OSHA every day, man. Oh, yeah. And so, so there's a little bit of that of like, okay. And, and same with looking at policies, right? Like, okay, so outside of, you know, obviously you've got to do what you have to do as required, right? But if you're not actually doing what you have in your policy, why do you have it there? Mm -hmm. and, but if you're, if you're, if it's in your policy and, it, and you have to have it in your policy Why and you're not do doing it, it yeah, yeah, then, yeah, then you've got an issue there. But, but if it's, if it's a, an above and beyond thing, right, or something that isn't necessarily required or whatever, um, if you have it written in your policy and you're not doing it, why would you have it in there, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's a little bit of that, like making sure that, um, one, that our policies are robust enough to be fully compliant, but then also taking a step back and saying, okay, are we actually executing on everything in this policy and are we executing on and, – and is it something that we truly need to be executing on, right, if we're not? And if we're not and we don't need to execute on it, then let's get it out of there because mm -hmm. it does no good to be in there at that point, right? So a little bit of that, but um, – Do you think you've gotten it down to the point now where you've eliminated – I mean what you, what you require is what you need at this point. You're getting right, close yeah. to that. Yeah, I think we're getting close to that. It's, it's obviously a, a constant working process. I mean we got mm -hmm. I mean, 50-some – programs right from mm -hmm. i mean that's the beauty of being a sound contractor and having all <laughs> you know isnets and avedas asking mm -hmm. for you know everything under the sun a railroad you know, mm -hmm. you know a safety plan and it's like okay well we don't work on railroads you know but we've but, got one but we can have yeah, one yeah. yeah yeah uh but but no it's uh it's a constant working process um uh but yeah we've made some headway for sure Do doing that you mentioned you used the phrase above and beyond, and, and I know of situations uh, there are some employers and some projects here in this area that, that pride themselves in the above and beyond mm -hmm. philosophy. Yep. Um, what uh, We talked about it a little bit earlier, the over-safetying things and eliminating a need for a little bit of like problem-solving ability or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a position on that? I mean, do 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 general contractors or owners who you are working for they they probably don't understand the details of the electrical world, and so do they have a tendency to over safety you guys? Sometimes, um, not very often, because um, when they, it comes to electricity, we're seen as the experts, right? right That's what I tell right. people, like. In lockout tagout's like the easiest one, right? I tell our guys, if we can't do a lockout tagout properly and by the book, then what are we doing? Who has a right? chance? Like, right. I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, th this should be our bread and butter, right? So there's a little bit of that, but um, I, I think it comes into there's certain scenarios where it makes sense to go above and beyond, right? Mm -hmm. Or that, you know, like for instance, uh, so here's something that is quote unquote above and beyond the standard, but when you're looking at the excavation standard, right, and it says, you know, at five feet, that's when you have to have protective systems in place. But at four feet, that's when ladder access comes in and, you know, air monitoring and, you know, all that. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, why, why do we have something starting at five and then other stuff, everything else starts at four? So we've just taken the stance that everything kicks in at four feet. And the other thing that we've taken in is we, we as a company say there's no such thing as type A soil. We're not doing it. It just, 
all it does is allow another variable for our guys to make a mistake on a decision or their testing method, whatever, right? And so it's, all right, guys, if we're getting to four feet or more in depth, we are doing protective systems. We are following everything that is laid out in the standard to do so. And also now we're only choosing between is it B or C soil, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're testing, I don't care if it says that it's A soil, right? You put the pocket penetrometer and it's, you know, way over 1.5 tons per square foot. Okay, cool. I don't care. We'll treat it as type B then. Right. We don't gain anything by treating it as type A. Unless we're talking like thousands and thousands of feet of duct bank or whatever, then you might get into a little bit of a scenario where it's like, okay, well, we can save some money with the sheer mm-hmm. magnitude of this, but it's B or C for us, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something that we've done to go a little bit above and beyond, especially understanding that, you know, excavations are pretty much flatline that that you're going to have between 20 to 30 every year, yeah, right, no in, in the industry. We're going to have deaths, and, and, and in, I've taken the stance with excavations that it's 100% preventable mm-hmm. if you take the standard and follow it, right? Yeah. Now, something funny that I've found within the electrical or uh, the excavation standard that, I mean, you, you've you seen duct bank work, right? Mm-hmm. Benches, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you take type B benching, right? So it's one-to-one, right? What does everybody do when they bench at a one-to-one ratio? It's, it's four feet up and four feet back. Yeah. It's the most you can do, right? So that's what they do. And they start out doing four feet up, four feet back, four feet up, four feet back, right? Whatever. Well, if you look at the actual... Uh, image of the excavation, the benching that is in the the standard, that first bench is actually twice as far back as it is tall. So you go up four feet, it's actually back eight feet is what the mm-hmm. the standard would show you. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I told her guys, nobody's ever done that. I've never seen an excavation. Not ever seen that either. Yeah, but that's part of the standard. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think I I can't remember if it was Thurlby or who I reached out mm-hmm. to about that, but I was like, hey, I'm trying to figure this out here because yeah. I noticed it. It says this, but it shows this. Correct, and they said that it would go based upon the picture. No kidding. Because it, it says one-to-one, but on the picture it shows that instead of it being, I mean, you can't, it's hard to visualize, but basically it starts on mm-hmm. that side and it goes through the dirt at first, and then it starts to be where it touches to the line, right, of that 45-degree mm-hmm. angle. Mm-hmm. And so... It makes it so that that first bench is twice as far back horizontally as it is vertically. And that, that would be beating the standard. But I'm like, I've never seen that. Well, and that certainly enhances the safety, man, to move oh, that for load sure. back. Another. Yeah, exactly. But I tell our guys, like, you know, or at least the digging contractors, we don't really do our own digging. We do a, a little bit with our line crews and whatnot with some trenching and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I tell them it doesn't mean that it's an unsafe trench, right? Um, if if we don't have it twice as far back, it's not an imminently unsafe trench, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. obviously everybody has been operating under the same understanding that, hey, if I go up four feet and back four feet, up four feet, back four feet, I'm good. And I would say that you probably are. OSHA is doing the exact same thing. I they're, would assume so. I yeah, doubt that right. they would be overly critical of right. that. But, Unless there was a failure, right. then they're overly critical of everything. They might, yeah. But I have never heard of that being uh, implemented. And so that's one thing that I, you know, as I dig into this stuff, and it's I'm, interesting. I'm very, I guess, weird and detailed like that. No, man, no, no, no. I, some of those things require a detailed person. Right. I, I'm not a detailed person, which was, to some degree, a challenge for right. me. You know, I'm, I'm, 
the, more of the relational side, mm-hmm. and you know, I have some grasp of the technology, you know, the, the technical side. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't a detail guy, right. you know, and so and so I miss things for that reason. Unfortunately, yeah. I think. How do you? Um, I don't know how much time we've got left, man. Uh, we are just about out of time. That went pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> but my question to you is, um, yeah. and we talked about it briefly before we started recording. How how do you network? How do you continuing continually educate yourself? How do you do those things? So we're we're part of an insurance captive. So we have two what, what they call risk control workshops each year. Um, so it's roughly forty five different contractors from electrical to mechanical to general contractors um, that are in this captive. And so these risk control workshops are what basically span over three days. It's really two days of actual meetings okay. and conferences. Okay, there's some travel and time. And, yep, but... Um, and you do those like in Bankelman, Nebraska? Or yeah, 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 middle of nowhere, Seward. Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nowhere fun, for sure. Um, I can remember Ruben telling me about, I got to go to, you know, Puerto Vallarta or something for a... Well, is that, that not? That's that's a little bit different. Okay. Uh, I don't get to do any of that fun stuff, um, but maybe someday. But, but they're yeah. bringing this entire group that's part of the captive together. Correct. To and share those experiences. Right. And so we're going through. They'll we'll have people come in to do training uh, to to talk about specific things. But a lot of it is us having time together as professionals to talk real world. Right. Um, another thing that uh, we're a part of with being a NECA contractor is we're part of the large contractor group. And so which is the, the national electrical contractors association. Correct. Yep. NECA. So, okay. so, um, which is massive, right? There's, there's Huge hundreds, thousands of, of electrical contractors that are part of NECA, but, um, the large contractor group, um, which I don't remember what the threshold is to be a part of the large contractor group or to be considered that, but mm-hmm. I think it has to do with man hours, but, um, that is probably one of the coolest things that I'm a part of when it comes to networking and also learning is that, you know, we've got the top of the top electrical contractors, uh, their, their safety directors, their, their leaders in the room. We're talking real world. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What are you guys seeing? What are we seeing? What's, you know, coming down the pipes? What's the lessons learned type thing, right? Whatever it may be. Um, and that's some of the most valuable stuff. And, and I've got, I've built relationships with people that, I know at any time I could pick up the phone and call them if I had an issue or a question or whatever, and they'd bend over backwards so to, to help you out. Yeah, and and so the relationship side is huge. Um, and also, one thing that I would say is is that, um, you know, if I got to make sure I say this right, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're always if you're only focused on the work side of networking, I think that you're doing yourself a disservice. Get to know the people that you're networking with on a personal level, right? Same mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the like guys your employees in the field. and the yeah, guys you're exactly. charged with. If you're only getting to know them on a work level, then, okay, yeah, you, you'll have a relationship, but it, you can have so much better of a relationship, you know. And so I've got guys that I, I would consider them to be my friends mm-hmm. that I also happen to work with work or with, right. network with when mm-hmm. we go out of town mm-hmm. and, and we meet up and, and we're going to talk about stuff. But those are guys that, I mean, we, we'll be texting, you know, every other week about some funny thing or, hey, saw this or, you know, safety related, whatever. But but we have a it's a different dynamic than just simply a, hey, shake your hand. Good to see you again. Right. You know, how's your company doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what what about your family? How's your family doing? Right. 
that type of thing. And so um, any young safety professional, don't be shy to, to get personal with people and mm -hmm. get to know them. They definitely need to plug into professional and uh, business organizations, I mm -hmm. just think. You well, know, yeah. the, the network is everything. I, I have a client that had an electrical question, and I reached out to you, and um, you were gracious enough to give me an answer, and they were so happy, and then they had a clarification issue, and you just took it directly, and whatever that costs, it's worth it, you know? <laughs> yeah. if it, You yeah. know, if it cost me a, a breakfast or a cup of coffee or... Maybe a case you of You know, beer. some kind of a... Whatever <laughs> it takes, man. All of those things are on the table, but... Without that network, um, it would really be challenging. Right. You know, this work that we do yeah. is not done in isolation. Well, and, and, and same with, like, you know, benchmarking, right? Wanting to know where you're at, right? And, uh, you know, we were kind of talking about this a little bit, that you can get a little bit maybe discouraged, right? Especially if you've got a, a, a rash of some accidents or something like that that's going on, or maybe you feel like your, your culture's taking a step back for whatever reason. But having those other safety professionals, you know, spread out around the country, you start talking to them real world and opening up about the issues that you're having, 100%. They're seeing similar things or maybe even worse, right? And and that's where the, you know, at least we can commiserate together mm -hmm. about some things, mm -hmm. right? And and you know you're not alone in that. And and that's, that's that can important. be helpful, especially because, um, you know, the safety profession isn't necessarily always rewarding, Right. We're not always welcomed with open arms like, hey, guys, come and tell us how we can spend our money, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and what do we need to do now, right? Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes that can beat you down a little bit, and, and that's one thing that um, when I need to re recharge my battery from a standpoint of keeping that positive mindset and things like that, um, I'll rely on some of those guys that I've gotten to know over the years and, and just, you know, hey – Tell me some bad stuff because I've got some bad stuff too. Just, I just want to know that I'm not the only one. Yeah, that's exactly. From yeah, time to time. Exactly. That, that is really critical. I think yeah. that that the concept of commiseration or affirmation, whatever yeah. that might be, is really part of what we network for. Yeah, that's yeah. a big deal. Yeah, and and, and it's funny. I was um, so a, 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 somebody that I would have never expected this to come from, but I heard heard it from another person. But they, you know, were like this guy that I was talking to. Um, so this colleague of mine that works for another contractor or whatever, um, but he he had said some positive things about me, like you know, hey, you know, speaking highly of me, which I, I mean, I don't, I mean, I appreciated it for sure, but I didn't expect it at all mm -hmm. when this guy told me, and I was like, you know, that was nice to hear. It, mm -hmm. it you know. If you're having a bad day and, and you need to have a little bit of that, it's nice to hear some of those things. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that I try and make sure that I do as well is let, let other professionals know that they're doing good, mm -hmm. right? Because um, they might need to hear it. You know what I mean? It yeah. might, they might need to hear that, you know, hey, you think highly of them, right, or yeah. whatever. And, and that was something that, you know, I – it was unexpected, but very much appreciated to, mm -hmm. to know that somebody was speaking that highly. That little bit of, of gratification. Yeah, yeah, that like, okay. It's been well, noticed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you don't, we don't always get it, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you can get, you know, in your shoes, a client that you go and meet with, and they're very appreciative that you came out and helped them out, right? But, um, you know, what other professionals sometimes. think, right? Yeah, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I'm the same way. It's like, what? Yeah, thank yes. you. Well, I, you yeah. know, we, I think we all like to put on that facade that, you know, we don't need that 
you know, that reinforcement necessarily, and we don't really care what other people think. I'm doing right. it my way. But that, the reality is we're all pretty vulnerable it's to good that. To hear, we need right? some affirmation yeah. from time to time. And my goodness, if you are if you are a big enough person to give that to someone else mm-hmm. when it's not solicited, now that's pretty important. That's, no. a, that's a big deal, man. And that, and I that think was, we should all do more of that. Yeah, for sure. And that was, again, it was unexpected. And I don't, I mean, you know. I, I know that obviously I'm in my position for some reason, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I got to be doing good at some stuff, right? But I don't ever think about it that way. But um, you know, if you're managing safety professionals, make sure that you're reaching out and let them know that they are doing a good job, given that they actually are, right? Yeah. Now, there's some safety professionals that maybe would need yeah, to reevaluate yeah. that choice. Yeah, maybe reevaluate their mm-hmm. career decision, right? But yeah, um, got to be honest about that too, right? Absolutely. Um, but but if they if they're doing a good job, definitely give them some information because they may yeah. need it. So, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. This is Todd Longnecker. He is the um, Corporate Safety Director for Commonwealth Holdings. Yep. This is fantastic, man. I, I really enjoyed our last conversation. You were on with Don as part of a NECA group, and we talked about electrical safety, and I put Don on my list. Make sure Todd gets back on. You're a very articulate guy, man, and I appreciate it. And um, Thank you. Really interesting stuff. There were a number of nuggets in there that we'll have to pull out and put into the book at some point. So hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. We'll just keep doing it. We'll just keep laying some nuggets on them. And um, I will say that I appreciate what you all are doing. This is really important work. It doesn't always come with uh, uh, thanks necessarily. But don't give up hope. Just network. Find someone to commiserate with. Recharge yourself over the holidays and get back to it. 2024 is going to be a great year, I hope, for everyone. So thank you, Todd. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Absolutely. Um, We'll talk to you again next Friday. Got more guests before the holidays. And um, I don't know. You have anything, any parting words? Anything? Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Enjoy the holidays. Be safe. Yes, absolutely. Be safe. We're required to say that, I think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, guys. Thank you very much. We will talk to you next Friday. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. A Huda Media Production.